0: Welcome to Bradley's Micro Board Review, where we try to make your board's review for microbiology a little less painful. But, I mean, we're not magicians or anything. This still sucks. Today is March 5th, and we're going to have a whooping UTI and talk about Proteus mirabilis and Bordetella pertussis. Proteus mirabilis is one really cool organism. It's named after the Greek god Proteus, who is able to change shape into anything to avoid being questioned. In the same way, Proteus mirabilis is able to change its shape. Although, I'm sure it would answer your questions, it seems like a lovely bacterium. See, this is what happens. When you grow Proteus mirabilis on auger plates, it uses a superpower called quorum sensing to synchronize with the entire colony, and all at once they will change from a vegetative resting form into a modal form. They all swim a little bit and then all at once change back into the vegetative form. This wacky movement pattern creates what looks like tree rings on auger plates, and we call this swarming motility. Proteus is a really modal organism because of this swarming motility, but it also creates a biofilm and has multiple flagella and a uniquely large number of adhesion factors that all help to make it one sticky bug. It makes it especially sticky to plastic surfaces like those of catheters. Proteus also has urease, which helps it survive in the acid environment of the urine, causing urinary tract infections. The urease cleaves urea into ammonia so much that it makes the urine more basic and actually smell like ammonia. If a patient is chronically infected or it isn't treated adequately, a long-term infection could cause the formation of stones made of ammonia, magnesium, phosphate, or struvite stones. As these stones build up, they could bind together and cause a renal obstruction and or renal failure. They even can progress to form staghorn calculus, which is a large structure that looks like deer antlers on imaging. One very rare complication of a chronic Proteus mirabilis infection is the formation of granulomas within the kidney, called xanthogranulomatous pyelonephritis. Patients will present with chronic flank pain and abdominal pain. The longer this infection goes without treatment, the more likely that the kidney will actually have to be removed. Whooping cough is caused by bordetella pertussis. This is a gram-negative bacillus that is relatively prevalent in the population and can infect adults causing a mild flu-like illness. But in infants under six months of age, it can be deadly. Pertussis is transmitted through contaminated respiratory droplets and infects the epithelial cells of the nasopharynx. It binds to these epithelial cells by using filamentous hemagglutinin and fimbriae that it uses to attach. The first stage of infection is called the catoral stage, which is like a mild cold, but this is when transmission to a new host occurs. The second stage is called the proximal stage and is characterized by prolonged, uncontrollable coughing episodes that prevent the patient from inhaling. Sometimes this causes the patient to vomit after an episode, and sometimes they breathe in so intensely that it causes an inspiratory stridor or a whoop to occur. The third stage is the convalescent stage and is characterized by a gradual recovery with a chronic cough that can last months. This bacterium causes pertussis toxin, which disables the inhibitory component of G proteins, turning them on. This increases the intracellular cyclic AMP and causes massive cellular signaling confusion. This paralyzes the action of the epithelial cilia, which helps the bacteria evade the flushing defense mechanism. The toxin is also believed to deeply affect diapedesis, causing white blood cells to accumulate in the bloodstream, unable to enter the tissues, which would present as severe lymphocytosis. The pertussis toxin also causes the release of insulin, which can cause a patient to become hypoglycemic, which can be deadly in infants. The tracheal cytotoxin is also created, which destroys white blood cells and ciliated epithelial cells. The loss of the ciliated epithelial cells is why the convalescent stage can last so long. You're actually waiting for those epithelial cells to regrow and until that occurs, the patient is relying on the cough mechanism only for their mechanical defense. The Tdap and Dtap are regularly scheduled vaccines that contain different molecular components of Bordetella pertussis, like the filamentous hemagglutinin, fimbriae, along with other molecules. Immunity with a, this vaccination does wane over time, which isn't a problem for the adult population. Remember, it's just a mild cold to them. It does become a problem when the infant is less than six months old. This is why pregnant women receive the vaccination within their third trimester, and it's recommended that every adult who will be caring for the child also receive a booster shot. We're trying to surround the baby in herd immunity. Pertussis can be diagnosed by culturing the organism from sputum samples, but this organism is very picky about its growing conditions. It will grow on board a gingao agar, which contains potato extract, glycerol, and blood which is kind of creepy when you think about how happy this organism is in your nose. Once diagnosed, patients can be treated with azithromycin effectively. Now let's take all that knowledge and bring it to the boards. A 66-year-old male presents in the hospital three days after an exploratory leprotomy where a Foley catheter was placed. The patient is now presenting with a 102 degree Fahrenheit temperature and pain in the right lower back. Physical examination is normal. Laboratory studies reveal serum leukocytosis. Examination of the urine output is cloudy and tinged red. A urinalysis is performed and is positive for bacteria, leukocyte esterase, and blood. Urine cultures grow an organism that is urease positive, gram negative bacillus that does not ferment lactose. The organism is producing ever enlarging concentric rings on the auger plates. Which of the following is a risk factor most associated with acquiring this infection? Is it A, elderly patient? B, underwent an exploratory laparotomy? C, smoker? or decatheterization. The patient is presenting in the hospital after surgery with new onset fever and pain. Cloudy and bloody urine is suspicious and the urinalysis confirms the suspicions. The dipstick was positive for bacteria, blood and leukocyte esterase. Leukocyte esterase is an enzyme created by white blood cells and only secreted once they're activated. Therefore, this patient most likely has a complicated urinary tract infection that might have progressed to pyelonephritis. Complicated urinary tract infections are diagnosed when bacteria is discovered in the urine. It will cause patients to have dysuria and sometimes fever and pain. It is complicated in this case because the patient has a penis and is catheterized, both which would independently cause it to be a complicated urinary tract infection. This complicated UTI might have already progressed to pyelonephritis or kidney infection. Pyelonephritis is considered when fever, dysuria, and flank pain are all present. It is detected by presence of white blood cell activity in the urine and often produces blood in the urine and is often seen with white blood cell casts. The most common cause of UTIs is uropathogenic E. coli, but that organism does ferment lactose, so it isn't the organism infecting our patient. Our organism also creates ever-widening concentric rings on auger plates, which is a good description for the swarming motility seen in Proteus mirabilis. Choice A, being elderly, is not overly associated with Proteus species infections. Choice B, the exploratory laparotomy, is also not associated with any particular UTI. Choice C, smoking does irritate the bladder and increases the likelihood that the patient will have a UTI, but it's not associated with any particular organism. Choice D, catheterization, is highly associated with proteus mirabilis infections. Therefore, the correct answer is D. A three-month-old male presents to the clinic with anorexia, weight loss, and a persistent cough with nocturnal paroxysms for the last four weeks. Vital signs are a temperature of 98 degrees Fahrenheit and oxygen saturation of 96% on room air. Auscultation of the lungs revealed diffuse crackles and expiratory wheezes. He experienced episodes of violent coughing during the examination, and one episode ended with emesis. Past medical history is significant for an incomplete vaccine record. Serum white blood cell numbers were extremely high. Chest radiography reveals heterogeneous infiltrates of the inferior third of both lung fields. Tuberculin skin testing was negative. What type of vaccine could have prevented this infection? Is it A, an inactivated vaccine, B, attenuated vaccine, C, conjugated vaccine, or D, toxoid vaccine? First, diagnose the patient. This patient is presenting with a long-term cough, evidence of long infiltration and severe leukocytosis. Mycobacterium tuberculosis would be a good guess, but the skin test was negative, so it's less likely. The fact that this patient is a child less than five years old and has a violent coughing that ends with emesis and has an incomplete vaccine record is highly suggestive of whooping cough. Whooping cough is characterized by long-term violent coughing episodes that might end in vomiting or the inspiratory whoop. It does have a lack of rhinorrhea. It can present with severe lymphocytosis and most often presents in children under 5 years old, especially in the unvaccinated. The incidence of pertussis can be significantly lessened but not completely removed by using the pertussis vaccine. This vaccine is an acellular vaccine that is just a mixture of disembodied antigenic molecules like several different versions of the filamentous hemagglutinin and fimbrae. In choice A, an inactivated vaccine is when the infectious agent is grown and then destroyed in some way, usually by heat, so that it doesn't cause any replication in patients. This version is safer, but isn't as effective as other types of vaccines. An example of this vaccine is the rabies virus vaccine. Choice B, an attenuated vaccine, is when the infectious agent is grown in conditions that are slightly less than optimal, which creates a version of the agent that is slightly less virulent. This version of the vaccine creates the most effective immunity, but since it's still quote live, then it could rarely cause infections in patients. This can be very dangerous for patients who are immunocompromised. An example of this vaccine is the rotavirus vaccine. Choice C, acellular or conjugated or recombinant vaccines are usually recombinant proteins where the antigen from the infectious agent is literally attached to a more powerful antigen. Often the diphtheria toxin is used. You often need booster shots for these due to the changing antigenic sequences. An example of this vaccine is the human papillomavirus vaccine. Choice D, toxoid vaccines, are vaccines that are attempting to neutralize a particular toxin created by an infectious agent. These vaccines don't technically prevent infection, but do prevent the effect of the toxin. Often, this is enough to allow the immune system to launch an effective response against the infectious agent. An example of this is the diphtheria vaccine. Therefore, the correct answer is C. You can find our study calendar, a guide on how to study microbiology specifically for the boards, our contact email address, and references used to make this episode at thebradleylab.wordpress.com. If you appreciated this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend. See you tomorrow.